How good is it on Easter morning to be gathered here down the beach? Uh, we join with the Churches of Christ and a few other churches just to be the church in Burley. Um, and it's just awesome to have the sunrise and in a little while we're going to do some baptisms. And it's just amazing to be here. All right, a bit of a show of hands, confession time. Who's seen the movie Gran Torino? I see, so there's, there's two of you that are bold enough um, brave enough to put up your hand I have too so um, that makes three of us and, and maybe there's some others of you that can be confident to come out of the woodwork now it's a story about uh, a man called Walter Kowalski who is a Korean War vet and just after the death of his wife he interrupts a robbery of his classic Gran Torino sports car by a kid who's doing initiation into a gang and this leads Walter and the teenage boy Tao to become really close friends and what helps him out, um, and, and Walt helps Tao out, and as he does, he's drawn into the Asian culture that's increasingly present around his neighbourhood. And at first he doesn't fit in, but, but as the movie rolls on, he feels quite at home and quite accepted by his neighbours, by Tao and Tao's extended family. And then disaster strikes. The gang that Walt was rescued, uh, rescued Tao from starts to hit back. And we see this fearless, impending figure of Walt, played by Clint Eastwood, no less, Dirty Harry, um, uh, going toe-to-toe with the automatic machine gun-wearing gang. And, uh, and this reaches a climax when the gang do a drive-by shooting of Tao's house and abduct and ruthlessly assault his sister. And Tao is livid for justice. He wants blood, and Walt kind of calms him down, because Clint Eastwood never seems phased by much. So he just calms him down. He says, what, what will you get out of that? Like, arrested? Thrown in prison? Your life will be over if you do something. Don't be stupid. Just sit here and, and hold tight. He reassures Tao that there is another way, which reminds me of Jesus. You see, Jesus sat square in the crossfire of a, of a religious gang that were out to kill him. And Jesus knew more than, more than just justice was required to, take the, to make what was broken whole again. You see, Jesus' greatest adversary wasn't the gang. It's this thing that the Bible calls sin. And sin is the rebellion in all of us away from God. It's not bad behavior or, or doing wrong stuff or being a nasty person. Those things happen because of our sin. That's not what sin is. Sin is the name for the state we experience living turned away from God. Uh, maybe a better way to explain it is, because uh, sin is such an old word, right? It's brokenness. The world we live in is broken. Now, there is so much beauty in it, but it's also very broken. Just like the community that Walt and Tao lived in was broken. And there are lots of things about this world that are truly beautiful, but there are also lots of things that are out of step and out of rhythm and out of time with that beauty. And they are what we call broken, and they might be relationships that we're in or that we've been part of. There might be mistakes we've made or, or rhythms we live in. It's sickness that other people have that we experience. It's things we rely on that we know aren't reliable. It's, it's, they might be the things that define us or things that pressure us. There are numerous expressions of this brokenness, and we know it's broken because it causes us to be less and less human, less and less who we know we're supposed to be, less and less what we're made to be. That when we're broken, God's heart breaks for us and with us. It breaks for us because of what we could have, how our life could be, the beauty we might 
embrace. It's like what happened to Walt Kowalski. His heart breaks for these kids, for Tao, for his family, for his fr- for the community that he's in. So he ventures out to fix it. And the near final scene in the movie, Walt approaches the house where the gang members live. And it's a dark night. And he stands in the driveway. And somehow his sheer presence draws out the gang members, fully loaded, fully armed, to the balcony. And it draws out these witnesses across the street and balconies and porches all up and down as they all look on as, as Walt Kowalski, unmoved, fearless, stands there. The sheer power of his presence commanding the situation. The scene is set for the ultimate showdown. But we're left asking a question. How does Walt solve the problem? Right? Does he shoot all the gang members really quick? Because we know Dirty Harry could do it, but can Walt Kowalski before they unleash their automatic weapons on him? We're left with the same question here as we have with when we, we, when G, just before Jesus encounters the cross. How is he going to solve the problem of all the brokenness? Well, Walt puts a cigarette in his mouth and he speaks out after they've exhausted all their taunts and he says, you got a light, as only the Clint Eastwood can do. It's almost comical that he'd ask. And then he says... I've got a light. And as he says that, he quickly reaches into his jacket pocket. And as he reaches into his jacket pocket, they open fire. And Walt falls to the ground, dead. His hand falling out of his jacket to reveal the lighter that he went for. And the next words you hear several scenes later is the police officer telling the young Tao, who has raced to the scene, don't worry, Walt wasn't carrying a weapon. We've got them all now. They're going away for a long time. There were witnesses this time. And the gravity of what happens becomes crystal clear. Walt sacrificed his life so the broken community could become beautiful and whole and healed and vibrant again, just like it was meant to be. He's dealt with the gang forever. He's exhausted the factor that causes the brokenness, all captured in his final words. I've got a light. Jesus did the same thing that Walt did, only on a much greater scale. Jesus gave his life so that the force that was breaking things, sin, would be exhausted and taken captive so that we might, in following Jesus, find freedom from our brokenness. At the start of the story about Jesus in the book of the Bible called the Gospel of John, which is one of the accounts of Jesus' life, John calls Jesus the light. In the very first chapter and first verses, it says, In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the same way, Walt says, I've got a light. So God says in the face of darkness and death and crucifixion and brokenness and sin, I've got a light. And that light is Jesus, who through offering his life means that death no longer has to have the final word. And it's on Easter Sunday where we see the brilliance of it all. The light is not snuffed out by death and darkness and brokenness. It's those things that cause the light to shine even brighter. And on Easter Sunday, just like we just saw with the sun, the sun drives away the night. 
The light drives back the darkness by its sheer presence. So Jesus steps out of the tomb to offer everyone there and everyone ever since the beautiful gift of life and healing and fullness that he won for us. And we get offered it not because he was a man trapped in history, but because he's God who owns history. The second question for you as we, we wrap up. Mark Manson shares a story in his book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a... And I'm just wondering, is there anyone willing to admit that they've heard or read this book? Would you show of hands? Yeah, even less. <laughs> um, I have. I know. Put aside your judgment. I have. Yeah. So, so in the book, Mark tells of a story of going to a party with one of his mates, Josh. And they sat around the pool just up the hill from a cliff. It was a 30-foot cliff then down into a lake. And it was not, not so tall. It was not too tall to cancel the idea of jumping, but, but tall enough for it to be a big challenge. And at the party continued on. Mark met a girl and they got separated from Josh. And a short while later, Josh took the girl to the house to get some food. And they passed Josh going the other direction. And they had this friendly exchange. And, and 30 minutes later was when they heard it. Someone rushed into the house, screaming that something awful had happened. Mark dashed outside and went to the to, and, and saw the courtyard where people had previously been. It was deserted, and there was only sirens in the distance. He looked down the hill to where the lake was, and there was all these people gathered there. So he rushes down, and and, and uh, he's at the lake and the cliff, and, and as people were sobbing and crying, he starts asking questions: "What what happened?" And, and he he gradually puts together that somebody had fallen off the cliff or jumped off the cliff. And then as he, he starts to talk with people and try and get some sense out of people, he realises that they think it was his friend Josh. Three hours later, the scuba divers recovered Josh's body from the bottom of the lake. The autopsy showed that his legs had cramped and he couldn't push himself to the surface. And Mark, as you'd imagine, was just devastated by the death of his, death of his friend, which had this dramatic effect on his life. And, and, and so he stops drinking and he gets a job and he goes to college and he gets in shape and he pulls his whole life together. And in the book that he wrote, he uses one line to pull all of what happened to him together. And this is the line, right? He says, it was somebody else's death that enabled me to finally live. How cool is that? That's what we're talking about today. It's Jesus' life and death and then his life that enables us to finally live. Not because of what we do as a result of that, but because of what God does in us as a result of that. God wants to do a work in you and renew you and give you hope and overwhelm you with peace. Before you, for you to know joy and be renewed with the purpose of living, he wants to take the brokenness out of you, he wants to heal it, he wants to repair you and, and make you good as new. He wants you to know his love for you that you can only be convinced of as he gives it to you. So, so this morning, as we sit in the dawn, uh, in between rain clouds, watching this beautiful sunrise about to baptize some people, I want to fling door wide the doors of invitation to you. You're invited by God to explore this, to start a journey with Jesus, to give up all your brokenness for his wholeness, to give up what may seem like death in your life for what is life in God's life. You see, it is Jesus' life that enables you to finally live and Jesus and God want you to finally live this morning.